0: Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerbe kicks off our new Lent series called Poured Out. This first sermon is about faith, and specifically, Pastor Jen encourages us to put our faith in God alone and not in any false promises we've come to believe are the true promises of God. Remember, you can watch our live stream on YouTube that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestacal.com. Grace and peace. You know, Pastor Bill had a perfect opportunity to tell the kids I was 24. (laughs) I thought that was a little rude. (laughs) Thank you for the birthday wishes. I appreciate it so much. Crazy. Nothing you love more than being a pastor and having your birthday fall on a Sunday. Especially when you love attention. <laughs> no, I'm grateful to be with, them, with my church family on this day. You know, um, as we head into our message for this morning, I was uh, thinking just kind of about the church at large, which I often do, comes with the territory. One of the things that, uh, that really sometimes bums me out about the church at large is that I think out of, uh, out of fear or lack of understanding, we have sometimes allowed the world around us to claim things that I really, sh- I really think should have been ours to claim to begin with. For instance, when you talk about the connection between mind, body, and spirit with a lot of Christians, they get like real wigged out, Right? They start talking about like, oh, that's kind of new agey mysticism, crystals, horoscopes kind of stuff, right? In fact, I have no doubt that the fact that we had a yoga class here in the church have probably caused a ruckus with some other churches in the area, who knows? And yet in my mind, church should be first in line to claim the power of the mind-body-spirit connection because God made each aspect of our person to work in perfect sync with each other. And when the church spent all those years separating those things apart, it did some real damage to people because it created a situation where Christians really struggled to invite God into that disconnect. Other than the Bible, and I know that's a very churchy thing to say, but it's really true, other than the Bible, the most life-changing book that I have ever read is a book called The Body Keeps the Score by a man named Bessel van der Kolk, Kolk. It's a Dutch name, I can't say it. The subtitle of his book is Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And the author of this book believes that one of, uh, that trauma is one of the greatest and most urgent public health issues, and that many, many, many more of us are dealing with trauma than we care to admit. And so his his premise of the book is that trauma impacts our brain and our body in scientific and provable ways. This is why you often hear me quote, People like scientists and doctors and therapists and some of my messages because the connection between what happens in the physical and emotional world of ours has indelible, identifiable, and provable impacts on our very real physical and emotional bodies. It's why we've talked about the fact that things like loneliness can shorten your lifespan by upwards of 20 years. Or where we've mentioned that things like One Secret... Or one lie can cause anxiety, depression, heart disease. So many of us are walking around with these kind of dismembered bodies. We store our lies here and our shame over here and our anger over here. And and then we pretend as if we aren't hurting. And then we pretend as if we aren't hurting anything or anyone else. Because we have all of these different pieces of ourselves nicely tucked away. But we were not meant to live as as dismembered or as compartmentalized. And we were not meant to live as traumatized either. But in order to find healing, the kind of whole and complete healing that Jesus can offer, we first have to give God access to all of the parts of ourselves. And that is where the theme for this year's Lenten journey came from. Lent is such an incredibly unique time. It's unlike any other thing we do during the church year. It's an opportunity for us to be honest and vulnerable before God in a way that our, our culture nor our human instinct typically prompts us to be. And so I got to thinking about Jesus' last days on earth. Right? Lent is our opportunity to walk with Jesus, to journey with Jesus. And as we walk with him through his final days on earth it becomes more and more evident that he withheld nothing from us. That he poured his whole self out, holding nothing back, keeping nothing to himself, hiding nothing from anyone. We watched him as he was honored as a king, and we watched as he was mocked and ridiculed as if he were a criminal. We watched as people wave palm branches at him in honor of him, And then as people whip him nearly to death just days later, we saw his love for his people as he wept over Jerusalem. We saw the strength and depth of his faith as he was tempted in the desert, as his body sweated blood. We saw him endure the worst of what this world has to offer. And we saw him extend mercy in the midst of his own agony. Ultimately, we saw Jesus offer life in the midst of his own death. He gave us everything. And I genuinely believe that Lent is an opportunity for us. That Lent is an opportunity for us. Jesus withheld nothing from us. He poured out everything. So what about us? We can't live as compartmentalized and poured out at the same time. We can't live as dismembered and poured out at the same time. We can't live as disconnected and poured out at the same time. And so my hope and my prayer for us over these next six weeks is that we would ask God for the courage to pour out all that we are before him, mind, body, and spirit, that we would pour out the pain, that we would pour out the anger, that we would pour out the resentment, the anxiety, the shame, the regret, alongside of the joy and the gratitude, that we would pour it all out before the Lord. That just as Jesus held nothing back in order to redeem us, we would hold nothing back in gratitude for that redemption And so this morning as we begin this series, we're starting in the only place I can think to start by asking the exact same question that one of our Judson choir members asked us last night. What do we believe? What do we believe? It seems like an awfully big question to tackle, especially on a communion Sunday and on a church chat Sunday, and it's already 10.50, so how long is this sermon really going to go, right? (laughs) But that's part of my point. I don't think the answer to this needs to be that complicated. In fact, I think the church, and I blame myself and a lot of my colleagues for this, have long since overcomplicated what it means to have faith in Christ. I remember hearing Andy Stanley preach on faith once, and he talked about, he talked about that too, how we tend to overcomplicate things. And so he talks about what faith is not. And he says, first of all, faith is not some kind of force or some kind of power, What do I mean by that? Stanley uses the analogy of a lasso, that we sometimes have this tendency to live in this world as if we have some kind of invisible lasso around God's neck, right? And then we teach that, unfortunately, that if we have enough faith, we can get God to do things that God would otherwise not do. But this is a seriously flawed definition of faith because what happens if that is our definition of faith? Well, think about what happens then when we end up in crisis. Our loved one gets sick, and we're praying by their bedside, and we call on everyone we know to pray by their bedside, and we have so much faith, all of us, and we just know that God is going to heal him, and then he dies. And so that kind of thinking inevitably leads us then to question our faith, if we've been taught that if we just have enough faith, we can make God move, and God didn't move in the way that we wanted God to move, then clearly we don't have enough faith. And it breaks my heart to think about how many people have walked away from faith because this is the definition of faith that they were taught. Another image of that is if we treat, is if we treat God like a vending machine, and our currency is all those Christian things we do, we go to church and so there goes a dollar in the vending machine and we prayed and we read our Bible and we went to Bible study and so there goes some more dollars into the vending machine. And then when we want someone to be healed or we really want a job or we really want that new car, we just press the vending machine button and assume that we will get what we want because we paid our currency. But that's not faith either, is it? So faith is not some kind of power and it's not some kind of force It's not some kind of vending machine. And Stanley talks about how it's not some kind of formula either. It's not some kind of code. It's not some kind of formula that can be figured out that if you just studied harder or were a little smarter or were a little more prayerful or or were a little more contemplative, that you could figure out the code to faith. It is not a formula to be solved. The other thing that faith is not is that it is not something that requires us to disconnect our very real life experience in order to have it, in order to have faith. When we talk about our living as kind of dismembered or disconnected earlier, we can't do that with with a whole faith. Sometimes the church, unfortunately, teaches that faith is, is rainbows and butterflies, that if you just love Jesus, your life will go the way that you want it to, and all your plans will come to fruition, and you'll experience peace and joy plenty. and so that causes us to live as kind of dismembered or disconnected from our reality, because if we think that that is what faith is all about, then we have to do a whole lot of pretending in this life. We have to pretend that the accident happened. And we have to pretend that the cancer wasn't real and that the miscarriage never happened. But that is not the faith to which we have been called. Just as we are not meant to live with any part of ourselves separated from another part of ourselves, we are not meant to live with our faith as separate from our daily lives. In fact, just to be really clear, if you go all the way back to the original version of faith, The original version of faith in Jesus never required that. If you look at the New Testament, you will quickly realize that Jesus' followers never, never pretended that bad things didn't happen. They never pretended that life was better than it really was. Nor did Jesus ever ask them to. He never asked them and he never asked us to pretend that life is better or easier than it was. The author of the book of Hebrews gave us a pretty good definition of faith. It comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, "Now Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what kinds of things do we hope for? We hope we'll get a new job. We hope we'll get an A on a paper. We hope for good results from the doctor. But when, when or how does that hope turn into some kind of confidence? If you hope that you will get an A on a paper, when does that turn into confidence? It doesn't turn into confidence until you see the A on your paper, right? Another way of saying that is that faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he promised to do. We often, I think, think that the issue with our faith is that God doesn't do what he promised to do. But I think the real issue with our faith is that the church has essentially signed God's name to promises that God never made. And they tend to be the promises that we most cling to. You see, as we journey with Jesus through his final days, we will see what he did on our behalf And we will see how what he did was the fulfillment of God's promise to us. But it also means that we will see all that God didn't promise us. God didn't promise us that life would be easy. He never promised us that we would be guaranteed a properly functioning, disease-free body. He never promised us that we wouldn't experience devastating heartbreak and gut-wrenching loss in this life. He never promised us that addiction would pass by our home. He never promised us a spouse or children. He never promised us a well-paying job or a really good education. He didn't promise us that if we went to church enough or prayed enough or read the Bible enough that we would get the things that we want and that we would be protected from the things that we don't. But somewhere along the way, the church started signing God's name to promises he never made. And then when those promises didn't come to pass... What choice had we but to angrily walk away from God? What else were we supposed to do when we thought that God said that he would heal him or save her, but he didn't do it even though he could have? Because the reality is that God is who he says he is. And that he absolutely did what he said he was going to do. Thousands of years before Jesus was ever on the scene, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And long before Jesus was ever on the scene, God made a promise that he would send a savior. And so, for the longest time, if you look at all throughout the Old Testament, for the longest time, all that people had to go on was their faith in God, that God was who he says he was, and that God would do what he said he was going to do even though they never saw God do it. A few, verse la- a few verses later, in Hebrews 11, after the verse we just read, after that definition of faith, it goes into something, Mike calls it faith in action. I grew up calling it um, like the heroes of faith uh, or the great hall of faith. It has a couple different names, but it comes from Hebrews 11. And look at, look at what it says starting in verse 4. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashores. It's amazing, right? These are the heroes of our faith. If, if you're somebody who calls yourself a Christian, these are the heroes of our faith. And this text goes on all throughout Hebrews to list even more people. It talks about Isaac and Esau and, and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel. It's, it's just this amazing list of the mothers and fathers of our faith. But look what it says here in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. And then if you skip ahead all the way to verse 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. All of these are the people whose lives we look up to, whose stories we read, whose faith we admire. All of them were commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. They believed that God was who he said he was, and that he, they believed that he would do what God promised to do, and they died while believing, but never seeing that come to fruition. That is why they were commended for their faith. And yet, here we are, 2,000 plus years later, having seen God's promises come to fruition in the person of Jesus, but we struggle to believe because we have put our faith in promises that God never made. God loves his sons and daughters with a fierceness and a passion that we will never understand this side of heaven And because we struggle to understand that, we fill in what we think God's love is like with our version of love. But our version of love is limited, and it is conditional. And so we tell people that if they just have enough faith, their loved one will be healed. And we tell people if they just believe enough, they'll be financially prosperous. And we tell people if they're just nice enough people, good to everyone, they go to church and they read their Bible, that maybe bad things won't happen. Because the church has a history of signing God's name to promises that God never made. We have sold a faith that is different than the one that God requires of us. And in doing so, we have shattered the faith of countless people when the very thing they prayed for didn't come to pass. And so, in addition to the loneliness we feel when a partner doesn't come, and in addition to the devastation we feel when the pregnancy test is never positive, In addition to the agony that we feel when our loved one is taken away far too young, in addition to all of the hurt and all of the pain that is natural to experience when life happens, we now also question our faith and the very God in whom we thought we were putting our faith. But God never asked us to put our faith in those things, God never promised us any of those things. When God demonstrated his love for us, it wasn't in removing tragedies and heartaches. When God demonstrated his love for us, it wasn't, it wasn't putting in the relationships that we want within our reach. When God demonstrated his love for us, it wasn't in giving us a path around the natural outcome of a broken world filled with people who have free will. When we think about what we believe, I want us to think about this morning as we enter this first Sunday of Lent is that what God did offer us, what God did promise us is better than all of that. And I know that that is sometimes really hard for us to see because all we see is what's right in front of us. But what God did promise us was so much better Because what does scripture say that God did in demonstrating his love for us? Look at Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't promise us this life would be easy, but he did promise us his unfailing presence in the midst of it. He didn't promise that we would get all of the things that we want in this life, but he did promise us access to all that he has while we're here. And he did did not promise us riches beyond our imagination in the sense that we know it here on earth, but he certainly did promise us riches beyond our imagination. He didn't promise us that we wouldn't suffer here, but he did promise us his constant comfort, his unfailing peace. And the promise that we would one day never suffer again. He didn't promise that darkness and evil would be destroyed. Oh, yep, he did. He did do that. But we're not at that part of the story yet. So you're going to have to stick around for the rest of Lent to hear about that promise. Because it's a pretty good one. All of these people in Hebrews 11 believed based solely on God's word. That he would do what he said he was going to do. We are on the other side of that. God did what he said he was going to do in the person of Jesus. If you were ever told to put your faith in the promises that all would be well, that life would be easy, that tragedy would never strike, that loss and pain and heartache would never be yours, that money would always be available, I am sorry. I'm sorry if that's what you were taught. Of course you're struggling with your faith in the face of such a painful and broken world. But I can assure you this morning that there is a far greater promise being offered to you today. If you received ashes here on Wednesday night, we not only said to you that from dust you came, to dust you will return, but do you remember the second part of that? Repent and believe the good news. Or turn around or turn back and believe the good news. What is the good news? This. This is the good news, that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news. That is the God who is worthy of our faith. The promise is life, abundant, whole, forever life with Christ, both here and now and for all eternity. The promise is access to God and all that God possesses 24-7, both here and now and for eternity. Romans 10 says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning we're all the same in the name of Jesus. The same Lord of all who richly blesses all who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the God who created you, who sustained you, and who saved you. This is the God who never fails. This is the God who invites you into this journey anew today. And so you are invited to walk these next six weeks with Jesus as he once more demonstrates his love for each one of us. Let's pray together. God, sometimes it feels like this whole faith thing is really complicated. It feels really difficult, but I think, Lord, it's because we have made it more complicated than you meant for it to be. Undoubtedly, it is hard, Lord, to know that you are good when things here on earth seem so hard. God, but I just pray that you would continue to speak your truth over us and that when it comes to our faith that we would know that it is you in you we are putting our faith. God, help us to know the things that you have promised and the things that you haven't. That we would be able to put our faith in the one who sustains us through it all. God, for those this morning who are struggling with their faith, I pray that you would give us courage and strength in a whole new way. Shame is not of you. Guilt is not of you. Those are not the ways that we're going to crawl our way back to faith. You just invite us, Lord, to say yes. To trust that you are who you say that you are. And so speak to us this morning, Lord, and strengthen our faith in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.